You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Good evening. And it is so wonderful to be back here uh, for a special uh, Yom Kippur prep. Using the time we have before Yom Kippur to maximize this day. And it's very, you think about it, you know, most special days, you want to prepare for them. You're before your wedding. You want to prepare. You want to be ready. Yom Kippur is a very, very auspicious time. It's a very special time. And it's a time that we need to maximize preparing ourselves, preparing ourselves and preparing ourselves for this special day. So what is so great about Yom Kippur that we're about to enter into tomorrow evening at about 6.45 roughly in Houston time, that what is so unique about this day that we are going to be preparing for. So our sages have a tremendous amount to say about Yom Kippur, but not by name. In fact, you don't find Yom Kippur mentioned almost ever by that name. In fact, the Talmud for Sukkot is called Sukkah. For Rosh Hashanah, it's called Rosh Hashanah. For, for, uh, for Purim, it's called Megillah. It's, there are many names that are given for each of the holidays in the Talmud. Not for Yom Kippur. It's called Yomah, the day. The day. Not Yom Kippur, the day. Unbelievable. Our sages also tell us that what's special about Yom Kippur is that it's called Yom HaKadosh. It's called the holy day. What is so holy about this day? And we will hopefully see throughout tonight uh, a lot about this day. It's interesting that in Leviticus, when the Torah talks about the offerings for Yom Kippur, it talks about 28 verses telling us about the different offerings that are given on Yom Kippur without mentioning Yom Kippur. Till after 28 verses, it says, oh, and all of these offerings should be done on the 10th day of the month of Tishrei. Why is it's almost hidden that we have Yom Kippur? So our sages tell us that indeed Yom Kippur is called a hidden day. It's hidden because of its great potential. It's hidden because it's not simple to just, you know, show up on Yom Kippur evening uh, at the synagogue and, oh, we're falling right into the zone. We have to prepare the, the, to maximize and to benefit to the utmost of Yom Kippur. We need a little bit of preparation to get into this hidden day. Interesting that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, entered the Holy of Holies only on Yom Kippur. And we know that the Holy of Holies didn't follow the rules of nature. There were no rules of nature in the Holy of Holies. The room where the ark was placed in the middle of it, so imagine the ark is about about two amot, which is about four feet width by four feet width. The room was 20 by 20. So we have our great mathematician here. If you have a room 20 by 20, and in the middle you have something which is which is four feet, how much room do you have on each side? You would have eight. You would have eight on each side, right? So you would have a total of of, of, of spare room of 16 feet total because you have something which is four feet in the middle. No, that's not what happened. In the Holy of Holies, it was a complete 10 feet. A complete 10 feet on each side. It was as if the ark didn't exist. It didn't take any any space. 
Why didn't it take any space? So we can get into it further um, a different time, but the idea behind it is that the ark represents humility. And when someone is humble, they take no space. When someone is arrogant, they're taking up all the air in the room. When someone is humble, they take up no room. And there's room for everybody else. There was a complete tent. If you measured, it was a miracle. If you took a tape measure and went from one end of the room to the other, it was 20. If you went from the side of the ark to the end of the room, it was 10. You went from the other side of the room, of the ark, to the ark, it was 10. And you took measurement of the ark and it was the four. It didn't make any sense. So how does that work? It's beyond nature. What happens on Yom Kippur, the day the, the Kohen Gadol, he also went with a string tied around his, his leg because in case, if he wasn't 100% pure and holy and in the greatest state of holiness, then what would happen? He would die. And they would have to pull him out with that string. It was an unbelievable day of, of holiness. But Rosh Hashanah is the day where our decree is written. Yom Kippur is the day that our decree is sealed. Now, we can talk about this at the end of the class, but I'll just mention it now. Okay, because at the end of the class, I'm going to talk about after Yom Kippur. What happens after Yom Kippur, which I think is a little bit overlooked. And I decided today that we should talk about it a little bit because it's so easy to not maximize Yom Kippur. It's so easy to not maximize Yom Kippur because right after Yom Kippur, we're breaking the fast, we're munching on our bagels, and we're, oh, that was great, and the rabbi's sermon was so special, and the, and the chazan hopefully didn't, you know, and it was, uh, it, we're just moving on, we have the holiday of Sukkot, and, you know, with, without no breaks. So we have to maximize the end of Yom Kippur also, and we're, getting, we're going to get to it at the end of tonight's class. But in case someone... It's amazing how God has such mercy on each and every one of us. How many times do we miss an opportunity? We have such a great opportunity of Rosh Hashanah. We can take it all in. We spoke about it two weeks ago, and we're like, ah, this Rosh Hashanah is going to be special. And then after Rosh Hashanah, we're like, oh, you know, I forgot to pray about this, and I forgot to pray about that. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I, I, I wasn't in the zone. So then you have the next opportunity, which is Yom Kippur. So on Rosh Hashanah, the decree is written. On Yom Kippur, the, the decree is sealed. But was it mailed out yet? No, it wasn't mailed out yet. When is it mailed out? It's mailed out on Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah, and there's many, many synagogues around the world, uh, several here in Houston as well, that will have a learning program the entire night of Hoshana Rabbah, which this year will be Saturday night to Sunday afternoon. That's when we, we hit the uh, Hoshanas on the floor, a day of atonement, a day of forgiveness, a day of mercy, because that's the day it's going to the mailbox. That's the day our decree is being shipped. That's when it's being sent. So we still have time to make an edit. We still have time to make a change. It's written on Rosh Hashanah. It's sealed on Yom Kippur, but it can always be changed. If what was written on Rosh Hashanah wasn't favorable, we still have the opportunity to change that because it wasn't sealed. And if it was sealed on Yom Kippur unfavorably for us, we still have time to change that because it wasn't mailed out yet. You can still open up the envelope, put in, change the file, and then reseal it and put it out in the mailbox. So 
there's a lot of encouraging time. So don't feel bad. God forbid, if Yom Kippur passes and you say, I can't believe I forgot to forgive somebody. I forgot to ask forgiveness. We're going to talk a lot about forgiveness. But today, I, I thought of two people that I had interactions with this year that perhaps I was a little bit aggressive with them. Uh, one of them, he, he wrote something on a, on a group and I thought it was, it was ridiculous what he wrote. And he's a, a fellow rabbi, a friend of mine. And I, I reached out to him and I said, I think, I think you're a little out of your mind. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and, and in a nice way, nicer way. But, uh, it was, it was, you know, either way, I called him up today and I said to him, hi, how are you? We haven't spoken in several months, but I feel like it wasn't appropriate how I spoke to you. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I realized as I was saying that, what an amazing gift Yom Kippur is. You know what? Sometimes you're like, I can't just out of the blue ask for forgiveness. Like what? Why? I know I may have said something wrong. I may have done something wrong. I may have acted in a way that was inappropriate. But what's the impetus to just ask? Like what happened? Oh, did you have a tragedy in your life that now you woke up about and now you're just like trying to reconcile? Like, what, what's the matter? Like, what caused you? We have Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness. Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. And I'll tell you, it was really special. Because he said to me, not only, he says, not only thank you for calling me, I forgive you with my entire heart. And, you know, and it was, it, we ended up speaking for about a half hour, schmoozing and continuing a beautiful relationship. Yes, it was a mistake. And we have to own up to those mistakes. Yom Kippur is that time. You can pick up a phone between the next uh, almost uh, 20 hours, however much time is left, almost uh, 22 hours left. Pick up a phone and apologize to someone. Write them a message. Say, you know, I I feel like I, I may have done something wrong. Very powerful time. And you know what? We're going to get more about, we're going to talk more about forgiveness. We're going to talk more about uh, repentance. So, Yom Kippur, the Jewish people transcend the boundaries of this world. We have the ability on Yom Kippur, not we have the ability, we are on a whole new playing field. The Jewish people are like angels. That's why we don't wear shoes. We're barefoot or we wear uh, slippers, right? Because even the earth, the earth was cursed with the original sin of Adam and Eve. The earth was cursed. So typically we don't walk barefoot. Only angels walk barefoot. Oh, on Yom Kippur, we're like angels. We don't have the ordinary laws of nature. Additionally, we wear white. Why do we wear white on Yom Kippur? Because we're like angels. Because we transcend the typical status of a normal human being on Yom Kippur. It says that when when Moshe went up to the heavens to receive the Torah, he overheard the angels say, secret code, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchutolo Olam Ba'ed. Now we know that when we say this, we whisper it. We say it every day, twice a day, morning and evening in our prayer. We say it at bedtime as well. We say the Shema. And after we say the six words of Shema, we say Baruch Shem Kivod. We say, 
What is that? What are those six words? Those are the secret pearls of the angels. These are the secret gems of the angels and how they communicate in the God, in, in the heavenly realm. Moshe stole those six words and brought them down. And we all throughout the year, we whisper those words, except for Yom Kippur, when we're like angels. On Yom Kippur, we say the Shema and we scream out, Baruch Shem Kippur, right? Just like the angels. Why? Because we're like the angels. And we pronounce it out just like the angels. So why the entire year? Why the entire year do we whisper it? So imagine someone is working in the king's palace and it's it's not a good thing to steal from the king, right? Because you can never wear the king's jewelry out, right? So he steals beautiful earrings from the king's uh, treasure treasury and he brings it to his wife. He says, you know, this is for the queen and if you wear it, everyone's going to know that you're, you stole the queen's earrings. So only wear it in the house. Don't wear it out of the house. Because if you wear it out of the house, everyone's going to know, I stole it from the king. You understand? We have the, the, the jewels that only the angels have access to in the heavenly realms. So we whisper them. We use them in our own home, in our own quiet prayer throughout the entire year. So they don't know that we stole their secrets. But on Yom Kippur, when we're on a whole new level, on Yom Kippur, we can scream it out. We can pronounce it outright. And we are on the level of the angels. Now, there are seven things our sages tell us that were created before the creation of the world. Seven things. What are those seven things? Number one is the Torah. We know the Torah is the blueprint. So the Torah had to be written beforehand because you can't build a house and then write the blueprint. You first write the blueprint and then you build the house, right? The Torah is the blueprint of the world and therefore the Torah had to be written first. Then is Teshuva, repentance. Then is the Garden of Eden, Gehenom Purgatory, the Kisei HaKavod, God's holy throne, the Bet HaMikdash, and it says that the third temple will descend from the heavens, all prefabricated. Yeah, it'll come all, yeah, all, all built. It'll descend from the heavens. And the last is Mashiach. And we'll see soon why we have these seven. What's the string that, that, that brings them all together? So we're like the angels. It's a special day. Yom Kippur is a special day. They say that one of the assistants to one of the great Hasidic masters he overheard his Rebbe that he was he was assisted for. He heard him taking very, very deep breaths on Yom Kippur. <gasps> he says, everything okay? You having any trouble breathing? What's going on? He says, no, I'm trying to get in as much air from Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is such a holy day. I want to take it all in. Just breathe in that, that oxygen. Take it in so they can carry it along for the entire year. Yom Kippur is such a powerful day. It's not just about going to synagogue. We're going to see soon. It's not about going to synagogue and praying. That's not the purpose of Yom Kippur. It's about repentance. That's the mitzvah of the day. And we'll see what repentance means in a few minutes. So we know that there are five prohibitions 
that are obligated by the Torah on Yom Kippur. Number one is we don't eat or drink. Number two, we don't bathe. Number three, we don't uh, lather oils or ointments. Number four is we don't wear leather shoes. And number five is we don't have marital relations. But interestingly, there are several things that are also are the number five. We know we've done this many times. Numbers have meaning. We're not going to get into the meaning of everything now. But we know that there's also five books of the Torah. There's five senses. There's five prayers on the day of Yom Kippur. There are five Kohen dips. The Kohen would go into the ritual bath, into the mikvah on Yom Kippur five times. And we know that the word nefesh, soul, is read five times in the laning on Yom Kippur. We say the word soul, nefesh, five times. But more than everything, our sages tell us that these five afflictions, these five prohibitions on Yom Kippur are corresponding to the five levels of the soul. We have five levels of the soul. We have the nefesh, we have the ruach, we have the neshama, we have the chaya, and we have the yechida. Now, I don't want to get into this too much. I spent some time today with Rabbi Kohn, our in-house Kabbalist uh, in Jerusalem, and we were talking about these five levels of the soul, and he he had a very good uh, analogy to this. I don't want to get into it because it's not our topic, but the idea here of these five, and we don't know exactly how. I asked him, in what way does not eating or drinking perfect and be an atonement for a portion of the soul? Which part goes to which part? Like what 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 corresponds to what? He said that he he looked it up in the Arizal, the great Kabbalistic sage, and he doesn't bring the exact parallel. What goes to what? But these are the corrections. These five afflictions correct the five levels of our soul. Now, what each level is, you know, so we're we're a vessel, we're breathing, we're a we're a. Um, it's a whole uh, parable. He says to a glass blower, a glass blower has a you know a glob of glass, and then he he has a a a, a piece that he blows into. See, he he says that um, the nefesh is the potential it's it's all the 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 substance the i don't know what you call it the the homer the uh the what the mass okay thank you and then you have the wind that he blows that's the nef that's the ruach and then you have the the breath that goes onto the glass and then you have the force of the glass blower and then you have the unique expression of the glass blower which he wants to design something specific. And each one of these are our soul, so to speak, the different compartments, the different components that we have in, in, um, in our soul. But each of these are a, a rectification. They are perfecting different parts of our spiritual being that may have been flawed throughout our you know, our activities that we've done through this year, through our mistakes that perhaps we may have, uh, we may have done. Okay, so we'll talk about the purpose of the day. 
the purpose of the day. Yes, this is all to get us to be like an angel. It's all to get us to be beyond the level of the physical, beyond the realm of the physical. Where when we're fasting and when we're not being busy with all the physical things, we're not getting caught up with anything that can bring us down. We're on a trajectory up. On Yom Kippur, we're beyond all of that. And even if, by the way, if someone sleeps in their bed from the beginning of Yom Kippur to the end of Yom Kippur, there was still a perfection that their soul experienced. We may not understand it. We may not see it. We may not feel it. But there is an element of perfection that goes on with our soul on this day. So let's go back to what happened on this day to begin with. What happened on this very day? Where does this day of Yom Kippur even begin from? Where does it even come from? Our sages, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people made a huge boo-boo. They made a big mistake. What was the big mistake they made? The golden calf. Very nice. The golden calf, that day was the 17th of Tammuz. Moshe comes down, He was that's 40 days after the Jewish people had the revelation at Mount Sinai. And Moshe is coming down with these brand new, beautiful, star-studded tablets, God-given. He's bringing them down, and he sees there's a golden calf. He takes it and smashes it. And now he's trying to whip the people back into shape. 40 days later, the beginning of the month of Elul, he goes back up the mountain. And now 40 days later is... What we know is Yom Kippur, but then it wasn't Yom Kippur yet. And Moshe is there for 40 days, and we discussed why the number 40 is so important, because it's transformation, it's it's becoming a new person. The Jewish people have repented sufficiently, and now they're ready for atonement. And Moshe says to God, please forgive my people. He's asking, please forgive the people have, 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 have asked for, uh, repent, for atonement, for their sin. They recognize what they've done. They've changed their ways. Please give them atonement. Vayomer Hashem, and God said, Salachti kidvarecha. I forgive by your request. Ah, so many secrets here. You don't just get forgiveness if you don't ask. You've got to ask. You've got to ask. Pick up that phone and ask. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I didn't realize what I was saying. I was caught up in something. I was busy. It was hectic. We have all these reasons. And they're maybe valid, maybe invalid. It's irrelevant. I may have done something wrong. It's a great opportunity. So forever this day has become a day of atonement. This day of Yom Kippur is a day where God says, forever, when anybody asks, I will forgive. Carte flung. Whatever you want. You've made a mistake. Someone said, me? <laughs> Rabbi, I've heard people ask this, right, David? Right? Rabbi, if you knew what I did, trust me. No, no such thing. You asked? I do. There's no such thing. You asked for forgiveness on Yom Kippur. There's no such thing. You know, there's a special uh, 
celebration that many people would would uh, do at the end of Yom Kippur. We're going to talk about the end of Yom Kippur again later. But there are many celebrations that people would have, aside from breaking the fast, and everybody's like, how was your fast? Great. How was yours? Great. Great. L'chaim, right? And, you know, we're on to the next holiday. But there were people who would be dancing and singing. Why? Because we were forgiven. What do you mean? How do you know you were forgiven? Because we asked. And God says, when you ask, you're forgiven. There's someone who once wrote to the Rambam. He writes to the Rambam. He says, I bang on my chest, you know, how many times? 28 times. Ashamnu, Vagadnu. He says, I haven't done any of those things. So he writes to the Rambam. He writes to the Rambam, I didn't do any of those sins. The Rambam writes him back. He says, not only that you did each and every one of those sins, you've done them every day of your life. Sometimes it's the intention, it's the thought that we don't realize the, the subconscious that's going on behind why we do or don't do things. So if that gives anybody any vote of confidence, we're all exactly in the same place. Okay? There's no one. Don't look. Don't think. Me? I'm not that righteous. But that guy, he's so righteous. Look at him. No. Everybody, according to the Rambam, is all in the exact same place. So when we walk into Yom Kippur, we're all carrying the same baggage, their own, our own mistakes, our own potential that wasn't materialized. We're all carrying the same sin, the same forgiveness that we're requesting from the Almighty. That we didn't, we didn't maximize our potential. And you know what Hashem says? Forgiven. It's interesting. We don't go to, uh, what do they call those things, those rooms where they, the Christians, the confessionals, right? We don't have no confessionals. You know why? Because we have direct access. We talk to Hashem directly and we say, Hashem, I have sinned. I'm guilty. I rebelled. I've stolen. I didn't steal. I didn't cheat on my taxes. I didn't take anything from you. Guess what? Did God give us a resource? He gave us a resource of our mind. Have we maximized it? If we used it for anything that wasn't for God, we stole and God gave us a resource. We didn't maximize it. Right? Any, you understand how anything that a person does in their entire life that's not fully 100% what the Almighty wants. And we're, we're all falling guilty of the same crime. That's what we say on Yom Kippur. Hashem, please forgive me. Hashem, please forgive me. It is so powerful. I want to share with you. I say this every year because it's my favorite midrash. The Orchus Sadikim brings the following midrash. When he talks about Teshuvah, he says that when Moshe ascended up the, the mountain and went up to the heavens, he went up seven firmaments. We recently mentioned this in one of the classes. Seven firmaments. And in each firmament, he was greeted by a bunch of angels. And they were first, fir- the first heaven, first firmament. They were reading about the first day of creation. And when they concluded the first day of creation's reading, 
they started praising the Torah. And the second firmament Moshe ascended to, they were reading about the second day of creation, and when they concluded that, they were praising Torah and the Jewish people. The third firmament, they read the third day of creation, and then they started praising Jerusalem. The fourth firmament, firmament, they were reading the fourth day of creation, and then they started praising Mashiach. And then the fifth, same, in each level, each firmament, were higher-ranking angels. And what, what many people don't know is in our, in our prayers, we talk about seraphim, ofanim, chayos, right? All of the different levels of angels ha- carrying different responsibilities. The highest, highest level. So they went up to the fifth, they were reading fifth day of creation, and then they praised uh, Gehenna, which is purgatory. And then the sixth, was Gan Eden. The seventh, he went up to the top and he's all the way up at the Kisei HaKavod, at God's holy throne, so to speak. And they're saying about Shabbos. They're reading the, the reading of Shabbos. And when they concluded, they started praising what? Teshuva, repentance. So I, I, I don't know about you, but when I learned this Midrash, it made no sense to me. It made no sense because you're saying that Teshuva greater than Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, greater than Gehenum, purgatory, which cleanses all of our sins, Mashiach, Jerusalem, Torah, Yisrael, the Jewish people. I mean, come on. Torah should be number one. Torah should be at the highest level. No. I want to share with you another idea that I also love. I heard this from my grandfather of blessed memory, and he says this every year. At the Pesach Seder, we sing the song of Dayenu. And in the song of Dayenu, we have a special thank you that we, we, we recite in the Dayenu. Thank you if God had only brought us to, to, it brought us out of Egypt and didn't split the sea. Dayenu, that would be enough, and so on and so forth. We get to further in the song, and it says, if God had only brought us to Mount Sinai and didn't give us the Torah, Dayenu, that would be enough. Why would that be Dayenu? Why would that be enough? Why would it be enough to, for God to bring us to Mount Sinai and not give us the Torah? What's the purpose? And the example we've given here was that it's like going to the ice cream store and not getting ice cream. Say, sorry, kids. It's great. We went to the ice cream store. And now it's time to go home. What do you mean? Why, why are you bringing me here? Why are you bringing me to, this, to the ice cream store if you're not getting me ice cream? Why take me to Mount Sinai if you're not going to give me the Torah? Because the purpose of this world is not the Torah. It's a shock to many people. It's not the Torah. That's not why we're here. We're here to have a relationship with God. With God. We're here to have a relationship with God. And God wants a relationship with us. The Torah is a tool. It's a tool that connects us to the Almighty. The Torah is a tool that brings us to that relationship with God. So what is tshuva? Teshuva comes from the term shav, to return. To where? Where am I returning to? Where am I from that I'm going to? You know, a baby comes to this world crying. We mentioned this also. Why does a baby come to this world crying? Because it doesn't want to be here. It wants to be in a world 
where there's no barriers, where there's no limitations. Comes into this world, and now it has all of this materialism. It has all of these trappings, all of these temptations. It doesn't want to be here. Another interesting point, the Midrash says that babies come to this world. If you look at my little baby, you'll see that its fists are clenched like this. Symbolizing, the Midrash says, that it's coming to this world and saying, I'm going to accomplish everything. I'm going to get it all. Everything I'm here to accomplish, I'm going to get it. But we know that when people die, they die with their hands open. Why? Meaning to say, the Midrash says, I didn't attain that. We come to this world on a mission. We come to this world on a mission. What's that mission? That notwithstanding all of the trappings, notwithstanding all of the temptations, notwithstanding every single challenge we have, we're going to stay committed to our mission of having a relationship with God. That is the purpose. And then we have distractions. We have many things that come in the way. Got to get a job. I got to get married. I got to go to school. I have, we have all of these things that come in our way that can divert our attention, uh, our attention and can make it more difficult for us to keep that connection with, with the Almighty. Here we have the great gift of Yom Kippur, where the purpose, where the mitzvah of Yom Kippur is shav, return. Teshuva. Teshuva is the ability to remove all of those mistakes, to remove every barrier that we've had. And that's why when Moshe ascended up to the heavens, the highest level is teshuva. Because what is teshuva? Like that phone call that I made today. I and this individual felt so close. We felt so close. By the time that phone call was over, he was profusely thanking me. Thank you for calling. Thank you. It means so much to me. And, and we, we ended up schmoozing for a long time. What happened? We were shav. We were able to restore we were able to remove all that barrier that was created. And many times, by the way, it's not even intentional. It was a mistake. It was an oversight. It was a misunderstanding. Teshuva means to return. Return to your state, a state of closeness. So I ask, does God need us to fast? Does God need us to pray? The answer is no and no. God doesn't need us to do it. And God doesn't need our prayers. But God wants it. And he loves it. Why? Because these are the tools that bring that closeness. These are the tools that break those barriers. God wants a relationship with us. More than God wants anything. God doesn't want us to be robots. He doesn't want us to do the mitzvah of, of, of tefillin every day. Or light the, lighting the Shabbos candles every Shabbos. By habit. He wants us to feel a connection with it. He wants us to feel a connection with the Almighty through that mitzvah. Each mitzvah that we perform is a tool to connect to the Almighty on a higher level. Every mitzvah. So if we even perform the mitzvah, and we just did it because 
Oh, it's morning. I got to pray. So I'm going to go to shul now and I'm going to put on my tefillin. And I have no idea what I'm saying and I have no idea what I'm doing with my tefillin. I don't have any thought that this is to bring me closer to Hashem. And I don't have a thought that this is to bring, to bring a, mem- a memory of our exodus from Egypt. And this doesn't, it doesn't do it. I'm just a robot. I'm doing it out of habit. So what did we do? We need atonement for that. Hashem, forgive me. I didn't utilize the opportunity. I'll give you an example. When we talk about repentance, there's a, um, we'll get to that, we'll get to the, to the, to the, uh, forgiveness in a minute. But, there's a marriage crisis. There's a marriage crisis in Teshuva. Imagine a couple. They go to the therapist. And the husband is, goes into the room first. And the therapist says, what's going on? He says, I don't know. My wife has given me the silent treatment for two months. I, I don't know what I did. I did nothing wrong. She's, he says, wow, that's, that's really, really serious. Okay. He brings the wife in. Husband goes out. He says, what's going on? Why are you giving him silent? I'm giving him silent treatment. He's giving me the silent treatment. It's not me. It's him. Sends them both a note saying, you know, your husband's not upset at you. You're not upset at your husband. It's just time to just talk. Just just talk. And he gets the message back. It's like, well, she has to start talking first. He has to start talking first. Right? Who's going to be the first one? You know, in, in, in this week's Torah portion, this week's Haftorah that we just read, we start off. It's called Shabbos Shuva. The Shabbos of repentance. Return to Hashem. Why? Because we read the prophet and the prophet tells us, Shuvah Hashem Shuva Yisrael at Hashem Alokecha. The Jewish, Jewish people return to Hashem. Your God. Return to Hashem, your God. But what do we say? We say to Hashem, right? You return to us. You return to us. Well, there's a power struggle here. It's that, it's that. Who is going to be the first? So you know, you know the rule is just do it. Who cares who's going to be the first one? You're the one who's go. Just get started. It always starts with you. It always starts with you. We start. Sages tell us that the, the mitzvah of teshuva, the mitzvah of repentance, is so powerful. It's so great that all we need to do is like say, oh, Hashem, oh, just give a little krechts, a little cry. Hashem pulls us and says, here, come. I see that you, I see that you feel bad. Come, I'll bring you in. The purpose of Yom Kippur is not prayer. The purpose of Yom Kippur is repentance. And if we go through the entire Yom Kippur and we don't skip a word, we're looking through the prayer and we're following what the Chazan says and we're doing all the repetitions and we're doing all of the, all of the uh, atonements and we're, we're banging our, our chest out and we're like pounding it and we're like, okay, that's it. This is, and we don't take a moment to actually repent with sincerity. We wasted our time. And if we do repent with sincerity, and we don't say a word of prayer 
Because I don't know what it means. I don't know what's going on here. I don't even know where they're holding. I once had a guy in my class. It was one of the Shabbos morning classes. We did a, a prayer and we did a uh, uh, we did a, um, a, a Parsha class as well. Every Shabbos morning for many, many years. Another one of the David and Susan Marvin classes. <laughs> so, uh, you guys have a lot of merits. You guys started many classes. Yeah, we got to get it started again. So, it was after one of those classes. What I used to do is I used to say to, the, to, to all the participants, okay, now we're done the class. Let's everyone go into the synagogue and let's participate a little bit with the, with the services. So, one guy says to me, he says, Rabbi, synagogue is just not for me. It's not for me. So I said, here, come sit down. We're going to talk about this for a minute. I said, why isn't it for you? He says, he says, I never know what the heck is going on. He says, I open up my sitter. I look at where they're holding. Ten minutes later, they're 20 pages ahead. I'm, I have no idea. He says, by the time the prayer is done, by the time the prayer is done, I'm just drained. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. He says, what's the purpose? It's just a futile act. I said, well, that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer, you don't need a prayer book. The purpose of prayer is to talk and communicate with God. You don't need to be in a synagogue for that either, by the way. You can be anywhere. You could be at the bank online. You could be at the grocery. You could be at the, at the auto repair shop. You could be anywhere. You could be sitting at a stop sign. Wherever you are, you can talk to God. God wants to hear your voice. He wants to communicate with you. And even more so on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day where we can communicate to God on such a high level. Where God says, whatever you want, I will give you. Forgiven. No problem. Forgiven. Done. An example that my daughter shared with me today is that you don't want to be that husband who apologizes to his wife from a piece of paper. I'm so sorry for what I did yesterday, and I really regret it, right? That's like going to synagogue and praying from a prayer book and not feeling a sense of atonement and forgiveness and regret. Open up your heart for one minute and say a word. I'm sorry. And it's much more powerful than all the words you can read. And I want to share with you the amazing story given in the Talmud, Avodah Zarah 19b, 19a and 19b, about the great Rebbe Eliezer ben Durdia. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay? The great Rebbe Eliezer. What was Rebbe Eliezer ben Durdia? Rebbe Eliezer ben Durdia was a low life. He was an absolute low life. And not only that, he was a low life. They said, the Talmud says that he was frequenting uh, by uh, women who lived uh, an inappropriate uh, way of life. And he did so as well. And he said that there wasn't a woman that was in the marketplace that he wasn't with. Unbelievable. And he heard that there's one woman out on the other side of the ocean, that it's expensive to get there, and it's expensive for her services, and he saved up money and traveled all the way to be with her. And while they were together, 
He sneezed. And she says to him, just like that sneeze can never go back. Eliezer, you low life. God doesn't want you back. That's how low you are. This is a story in the Talmud. He's suddenly shocked. Oh my goodness. He runs out and it says that he put his head between his knees, between these two mountains, and he started crying. He says, heaven and earth, do you hear me? Please ask God to forgive me. They said, sorry, son, but before we ask for your forgiveness, we're going to ask for our own forgiveness. He says, mountains and valleys, please ask God for my forgiveness. They said, sorry, son, but before we ask for your forgiveness, we have to ask for our own forgiveness. And he goes from one creation of Hashem to another creation of Hashem, asking, please ask God for forgiveness. And everyone says no. Everyone turns him down. He starts crying and crying and crying. And he says, I guess I need to atone for my sins. And he talks to God in heaven and asks for forgiveness and dies. And a heavenly voice came out and said and proclaimed, Rebbe Eliezer ben Durdia, you're invited to the world to come. The sages heard this. They're like, what? What? We all day are sitting and learning Torah. We're doing the mitzvahs. We're doing everything in the world we can possibly do to get a portion of the world to come, to get a piece of the world to come. And hear this lowlife with one waking moment of atonement, of, 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 ask, of, of real connection with Hashem, a real clear moment. Red carpet is opened up. Rebbe Eliezer ben Duryo, please come right into the world to come. Because one moment is all it takes. One moment of true regret. That doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite if you go back to your old ways. It means right now at this moment I have complete regret. Anybody who's been married for more than 10 minutes knows that. Make a mistake. So what do you do? You go to your wife and you say, honey, I'm really, really sorry. And then a day later you make the same mistake again. Right? Right, David? Are we in the same boat? No, you don't do it. <laughs> Why? We <laughs> But you can make the same mistake again. Does that mean that your does that mean that your previous apology wasn't authentic? Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that at all. In fact, your previous apology could have been very authentic. But you're human. And God recognizes that we can make mistakes. It says that a sin with proper repentance becomes a mitzvah. It becomes a mitzvah. Why does it become a mitzvah? Because this, and it fits so beautifully for what we've been saying, which is why I repeated earlier something we said last time. Because what is the purpose of a mitzvah? The purpose of the mitzvah is to connect with God. What does a sin do? A sin distances you from God. So if now, a person 
did a sin and he distanced himself from God. Another sin distanced himself from God. But now when he repents, what happens? All of that distancing becomes connection. Because with true regret, with true request for forgiveness, it becomes the tool through which you connect to God on a higher level. Our sages tell us, for that reason, a sin transforms and becomes a mitzvah. So if someone has a deep regret for anything that they may have done, anything, oh, God's not going to want to hear from me. Do you know what I ate? Do you know where I've gone? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've seen? Do you know where I've been? Do you know? All of those things... Hashem knows, but now that regret, that true, sincere regret, brings us only closer. And you know what? And what if last year I asked for forgiveness for those same things? God's going to pull the old file and he's going to say, huh? Really? You think I'm that stupid? Right? Again? You're asking for the same thing again? Well, guess what? What's the difference between, you remember those paper mate? Um, erasable pens. Yeah, they never worked. Okay, they never worked. Right? Whoever has ever used those pens, you wrote something with the, with the pen, and you tried to erase it, and you can still see three quarters of what you wrote. Right? It made it a little bit lighter, but that was it. But what's if you take a pencil and you write with a pencil and you use the eraser, it's gone. Right? The paper is now a clean paper. I say that's the difference between Hashem and us. When Hashem forgives us, it's a clean slate. There's nothing there. There's no remembrance of it. There's no old files. It's not the federal government. Okay? There's no old files. We'll pull your files. IRS will pull your files seven years back. No. God looks. Guys, has no past. No past. What do you mean he has no past? What did he do last year? Empty, blank pages. It was all. No, it's not blank pages. They turned into mitzvahs. They turned into mitzvahs. Why? Because he had proper atonement last year. He utilized Yom Kippur. He says, Vayomer Hashem salachti kidvarecha. Hashem says, I forgive according to your request. You asked, I forgive. Why? Just because you asked. Because you asked. It's forever a day where atonement is embedded into the DNA of the day. It's in the year. The whole day is filled with atonement. So what are the four steps of atonement? We mentioned this briefly last week. Number one is Aziva Sachet. You have to leave the sin. What does that mean? You can't come while munching on the cheeseburger say, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sorry. No. Put it away. You're done with it, right? And now you can come and say, right? It wouldn't be... You have to leave the sin. Whatever the sin is. Whatever the sin is, you have to take a step away from it. The, the the sages compare it to a dead animal in the hand of someone who goes into a mikvah. A mikvah is a ritual bath. It cleanses, it purifies. 
But a dead animal makes you impure. So if you're holding a dead animal while going to the mikvah, what's going to happen? Nothing. Get rid of the dead animal, go into the mikvah, you become pure. Get rid of the sin and then dip in the mikvah, meaning ask God for forgiveness and you got it. Just let go of it. That's it. Throw it aside. Vidui, confession. Talk it out. God, I really messed up. I messed up. I made a mistake. Confess. And number three, have regret. If you have no remorse, then it's not genuine. It's like, don't apologize saying, listen, I don't think I did anything wrong, but you think I did something wrong, so I'm going to say I'm sorry. That's like the worst. Don't ever apologize. Like It's better not to apologize than to apologize and be disingenuous. Have true regret. Feel bad for what you did. It created a barrier between us. It hurt our relationship. And then is Kabbalah la'asid, except for the future. God, I'm going to make an effort. I'm not guaranteeing. We don't guarantee nothing. Nothing is guaranteed. I'm going to make an effort to change my ways. I'm going to try to prevent doing those things that I was mistaken in. In last week's Torah portion, it talks about a special mitzvah. Ki a mitzvah hazos asher anochi mitzvah This mitzvah that I command you today. There's no mitzvah in that Torah portion. Like not even one. So what mitzvah is it referring to? Ki a mitzvah hazos, says the Ramban, Nachmanides, says it's the mitzvah of teshuva. This mitzvah of teshuva, of repentance, don't say lo bashamayimi. Don't say it's in the heavens. I can't attain true repentance. Don't say me'evra layom. It's over the seas and the rivers and the oceans. It's too far from me. I can't attain it. But rather, ki miyod. It is very, very close. Near and dear to you. Beficha. It's within your lips. Ubilvavcha. And your heart. La'asoso. To attain it. All you need to do is talk it out and feel with your heart regret. That's it. It's such a gift. In fact, our sages say about teshuva that it's the greatest gift that God gave mankind. Imagine that you can ask God for forgiveness and God says, sure, no problem. No problem. Whatever you want, done. It's easy. It's doable. It's attainable. We have to make an evaluation. Yom Kippur is a time to make an evaluation. I, I shared the story for several years about my rabbi, may he live and be well, lives in Jerusalem, but he grew up in the Bronx. And his uncle had a bakery. Opened up a bakery. And his bakery from the day he opened up was smashing success. I mean, every shul started buying their challahs from him. Every family bought their cakes from him. Everybody was buying from him. Every, every conference, they all bought their pastries from him. 
business was booming. It was so it, so rapid. He couldn't he couldn't keep up with it. But after a few years, they said we need to do a an accounting. We need to account. You know, it's like it's been so hectic for the past few years. We have to do an accounting. So they called in a professional accountant. And he starts taking in all of the receipts and all of the, you know, he starts putting them all together, putting them into a system. And he says to them, guys, I've got some good news. I've got some bad news. The good news is you sold so much. It's really incredible. It's amazing. There's no bakery in the entire city of New York that sells as much cakes as you do, as much challahs as you do. He says, now the bad news. You lost five cents on everything you sold. And they were bankrupt in a minute. Right? They were doing so well. Losing money on every single thing they sold. We could be convincing ourselves every day that we are doing good things going the wrong way. And that's what we need to evaluate on Yom Kippur. Am I losing... Every act that I I do, am I losing my spiritual five cents every time? Am I heading in the wrong direction? Maybe we don't want to have an epiphany when we're 80 years old and say, oh, I can't believe it. I went the wrong. I should have changed my direction. I I can't even tell you how many people that I've learned with over the years who told me, Rabbi, if I would have met you 50 years ago, if I would have met you 40 years ago, my whole life would have been different. I would have invested in my family. I would have invested in my children. I wouldn't have invested as much in my career, in making money. I invested in all the wrong things if I just would have had priorities. And I'm not saying that I do. Each and every one of us need to evaluate What are the gifts that Hashem gave me as a unique individual? Am I living up to that? Am I living up to what Hashem prescribed that I should accomplish in my lifetime? Because what Hashem gave you as your special skills and talents are very different than any other person on on, on planet Earth. So there's no, you know, we have in, 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 in real estate, you have comparables. You have something called comparables. If you have a certain amount of square foot footage in your home, right, you want to know what its value so that you look at similar homes in your area with similar square footage, and then that's your comparable. It's one problem. Is that with your neshama, with your talents, and with your abilities, there is no comparable. So you can't look at your friend and say, hey, if that's what they accomplished, I must be safe because I accomplished more than them. I'm doing better than them. Well, guess what? Hashem gave you a whole different playing field. He gave you smarter brains. And he gave you more, more, uh, more uh, brain power. He gave you the ability to speak. He gave you the ability to, 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 to uh, be kind to people. He gave you unbelievable potential that's unique to you. To say, I'm just like somebody else. What's that? We're not brought into this world to be like anyone else. We're brought into this world to be the unique and most special person ever created by Hashem. He gave you unique talents, unique abilities. 
And he wants you to accomplish something that nobody else can accomplish on this earth. Don't be average and don't be a comparable. Don't be a percentile. I'm the 50th percentile. I'm average, pretty average guy. No, be special, be unique, be dynamic. Because that's what Hashem wants from each and every one of us. So I want to move on now to the next part of our class, which is, I think, the most difficult part, and that is forgiveness. How to forgive. And anybody who's ever been wronged in a serious way, I'm not talking about someone did something small, someone someone bumped into you, okay, big deal. I'm talking about Someone really wrongs you. Someone does something intentionally. Someone opens up the the same business you have right across the street from you. Oh, what a low life. How can he do that to me? Doesn't he know it's my livelihood? Doesn't he know I have children to feed? Right? He comes to ask forgiveness? Me forgive you? Right? And there's... Millions of examples. Just look at the world, right? What's the divorce rate today? What's the divorce rate today? More than fifty percent. It's been fifty percent for forever because people don't want to say it's more. It's more than you have. You have counties in California that have over a hundred percent divorce rate because people have been divorced so many times. Yeah, it's crazy. And we say, yeah, just forgive. What's the big deal? No, you kidding? Do you know what he did to me? Do you know what she did to me? And people hold on to it. They say, you know how you catch a monkey? You know how you catch a monkey is you put some food in a little hole. And they put their hand in. And when they grab it, they they fill their fist. And they can't pull it out. But you know how they can get, get it out? Just leave go. And you can slip it right out. It's very simple. But I'm not going to let go. I can't let go. That's why our sages say that we pump our heart with our fist because we're showing we're like that monkey who doesn't want to let go of our sin. Just let go. You let go. You're free. Just let go. A story that I've shared many times in the past that happened in the Mir Yeshiva. I heard this from my rabbi of blessed memory, Verel Eisenstein. He learned in the Mir Yeshiva, the largest yeshiva in the world. And if you go to the Mir Yeshiva, and I point this out to each of my children when we go to Jerusalem, if you look at the front of the building, there's about a half a floor that has an area at the top that has a different shade of stone. It's been fixed. You can see that it's a different shade of stone. What happened there? That used to be the rooftop. Now they built two floors on top of it. But... That used to be the rooftop of the yeshiva. And during the Six-Day War, the entire neighborhood went into the bomb shelter on the bottom of the yeshiva, beneath the yeshiva. And all the yeshiva students were there with their rabbi. And everyone is praying and everyone is learning and everyone people are reciting psalms and peace like, and they're hearing outside from the, of the bomb shelter they're hearing rockets and they're hearing uh, grenades and they're hearing bullets. They're hearing all these things. At one point, 
the whole building starts shaking. They were hit with a mortar shell. That's the place in that building that they were hit by the mortar shell. The rabbi later on told his students, he gathered them together for one of their classes for of, you know, uplifting their spirits and giving them encouragement. He says to them, I want you all to know something. Remember what I'm telling you. The war is going to end tomorrow. This is the six-day war. Who ever heard of a six-day war? There's never in history been a six-day war. Wars go on for years. Look at Afghanistan. 19 years. Wars take a long time. Six days. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, the head of the Mir Yeshiva, says the war will end tomorrow. How? How did he know that? When the building was hit with that mortar shell, there's a woman who lived in the neighborhood who was in that shelter. She was what's known as an aguna. An aguna is a woman whose husband left her and disappeared. Never gave her a divorce document, never gave her a get, and now she can't get married. And as is, they were very poor. And she had a rap sheet on this guy. Okay? She had a thing or two to say about him. When the building was hit with this mortar shell, she turned to the heavens. And she said, God, you know that I have all the right in the world to be angry at this man. You know the terrible things he's done to me. But I'm forgiving him. And in this merit, save us and protect us. When Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, the head of the yeshiva, heard those words, he said, in her merit, in her merit, the war will end. Because when someone has the power to forgive, there are incredible miracles. Incredible miracles that happen. And here's a woman who has every justification in the world to stamp on this guy and destroy him and ruin his name and do everything in the world possible. And she did the most godly act. I forgive. God forgives. We, lowly people, hold a grudge. Unless we grab onto greatness. And we say, I want to be godlike. And Reb Chaim Shmulevitz repeated this again and again. The war ended in the merit of that woman. That woman is a woman of greatness. Unbelievable. Just like Hashem forgives with no strings attached. We need to learn, and I'm saying this to myself. We need to learn to forgive without strings attached. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not because they're right and not because we're giving in. But because I want to be godlike. Because I want... God doesn't say, well, you're asking for forgiveness. Let me see. You wronged me here. You wronged me there. You wronged me there. Right? Oh, oh, and I have a few more things I'm sure God can add onto that list. No, he doesn't do that. 
He says, you asked for forgiveness? Forgiven. Done. Done. Imagine if humanity was like that. I guarantee you the divorce rate wouldn't be 50% or higher. If all we needed to learn was forgiveness. Forgiveness. People make mistakes. We're human beings. We make mistakes. God knows that we're humans. He knows that we can get carried away. He knows that we can make mistakes. And therefore he says, you asked, I forgive. It says that Rav Abba, as the Zohar brings the story, Rav Abba, one of the great sages, was once traveling and he sees a man very tired. The man was very tired. The man lays down and right next to him there's a snake, a poisonous snake about to attack him, the sleeping person. A rock falls out of no place and kills the snake. A little later, the man gets up, all rested up, and he sees the dead snake right next to him. He realizes there must have been a miracle. He walks away, and there's a sinkhole. And the ground beneath exactly where he was sleeping drops. So Rabbi says to him, he says, two miracles I see in front of my eyes happening to you. What is so great that you do, that you deserve such great miracles? To which he said, I don't hold a grudge and I forgive. I forgive. If someone asks me for forgiveness, I forgive with a full heart. Zohar says from here we see the great miracles that happen when one forgives. It doesn't have to be justified. It doesn't have to be, well, you showed me how much you, you're, you're, you're sorry, maybe I'll think about it. Right? And we close our arms and, well, we hold the power here. Ah, I have them. I'm going to give a sour face. I'm still angry. But the truth is, we have to be godlike. We have to be godlike. The story that's told about a student in Belz. Belz is a Hasidic dynasty, a very big Hasidic dynasty in Jerusalem, all over the world. My mother actually grew up as a, as a, uh, from the, from this Hasidic, uh, dynasty. And all of my mother's uh, siblings wear the strimals and they wear the white socks. They have the long coats. They're, you know, they're the, the real deal, uh, Hasidic people. Uh, we're the black sheep in the family. So, so uh, what they did was one year, the headmaster of the head of, of the Hasidic dynasty, the leader, the Rebbe, said, you know what, because there are so many yeshiva students, I want to give an opportunity for the yeshiva students to be close to, the, to me, the Rebbe, during candlelighting on Hanukkah. So what he did was, is that he um, he told his gabai, his his assistant, he says, I want you to let the boys in, and the boys will stand next to me when I light my menorah. And it was a very special privilege. So one day, the first day of Hanukkah, all the boys from the yeshiva, I'm mean, talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, so they had to space them out. You know, one day there's going to be a hundred, the second day there's going to be a hundred, the third day, you know, each day there'll be a different group. So the first day there's this group, and some of the kids uh, 
uh, are really close up and they're very, very proud and that they're privileged to stand next to the Rebbe and to light the candle with, with the Rebbe. So fine. Second day, the boy said, we're not going to wait. We're not going to, we're going to come in again. So the, the Rebbe's assistant says to them, guys, that's not right. You know, there are other students that are waiting to come in. And if you're coming, coming in a second time, there are other kids who are going to lose out. It's only fear that you rotate and other, other students. So this one wise, wise guy says to the assistant of the Rebbe, he says, when you give up your space, when you give up your spot, we'll give up our spot. So the uh, assistant of the Rebbe goes over to the boy and gives him a slap across his face. Chutzpah, right? What type of gall, the audacity you have to talk to, to the assistant of the Rebbe like that. Student got so embarrassed and he leaves the room. And he's very, very embarrassed and brokenhearted and, you know, probably cried himself to sleep. Later that night, he gets a uh, notification that the Rebbe wants to talk to him. Gets a notification the Rebbe wants to talk to him. The Rebbe calls him in. And the Rebbe tells him, you know there's a mitzvah to forgive. He says, how can I forgive? How can I forgive? Do you know what he did? He embarrassed me in public. How can he forgive me? The Rebbe continues to say, we have to be God-like. God forgives. We need to, we need to forgive. God forgives. We need to forgive. We need to forgive. Mahu chanun afato chanun. Mahu rachum afato rachum. Just as God is great in all of his attributes, we need to emulate God. Student says, okay, I have to try. I'll have to try. The Rebbe is requesting, I'm going to have to try. So he goes to the store and he buys a nice cake. And he goes to the Rebbe's assistant's house and he brings the cake to the assistant and he says, I'm sorry that I was disrespectful. And the Rebbe's assistant says, "Do you please, can you forgive me? Forgive me that I embarrassed you publicly. He says, I forgive you. And they made a l'chaim and they had some cake together and they became, they became very close through that interaction. That night, the student goes back to his dorm room, his yeshiva. And he was in a, in a whole new spiritual place. He was just like, you know, what, what transpired that night was really special. So he took his menorah and he took his menorah and moved it next to his bed and he said, you know, when I'm going to sleep, I'm going to, I'm going to learn a little bit. I'm going to learn some of my, right? I'm going to... So, of course, what happens he falls asleep and his blanket caught fire and he immediately woke up and was able to save his own life and save his, his roommates' uh, lives uh, from this fire. And he quickly ran to the Rebbe and he says to the Rebbe, thank you for saving my life. He says, I saw how God saved me because I found it within myself to forgive. All right? Now, I know there's going to be a thousand and one questions. Well, does that mean that someone who doesn't, someone who does get affected, 
We'll leave that for another time. There's a special power, our sages say, with one who removes a grudge, someone who removes the, 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 who releases someone of their guilt. Someone does something wrong. Someone asks for forgiveness. Hashem should bless us that we should have the ability to give them true forgiveness. When someone holds a grudge, you know what happens? It's like taking a poison pill and hoping the other guy dies. You know? There's no one, there's no one who feels good holding a grudge. It's carrying a burden. It's carrying a weight. It's a gift to us when we're able to release that weight. Our sages tell us that we should forgive the way we'd like to be forgiven. I thought that my phone call today and the way my friend told me with his whole heart, I, I, like, I felt it. He was, he was like, he was so appreciative that I called and he was so appreciative that I asked. He says, I forgive you with my full heart. It felt good. So if someone were to ask me, I now have an example of what the proper way to forgive is. Don't forgive, well, I really don't want to, you really don't deserve it, but but I'll do it because I'm a nice guy. You can guilt people to death on this, right? No! You're a righteous person. You're a good person. I know you didn't mean to hurt me. I love you dearly. I forgive you with all my heart. Keeping a grudge, keeping that burden, it doesn't it, it, it weighs down on us. We suffer from not forgiving. It hurts us. It can hurt our health. I was recently involved with a family matter. Someone called me and said, I need to meet with you privately. That someone they know very well hasn't spoken to one of their children in 10 years. It's tragic. It's tragic. Someone you helped bring to this world, someone that you perhaps even birthed into this world, someone who you raised to have such a troubling relationship where you don't talk. I can't imagine not talking to my kids for 10 minutes. Before and after the class, of course. But it's, it, 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 it's, it's for someone to, to have a, a, a grudge on their child or a child to have a grudge on their parent and not to talk for 10 years, pick up a phone and call them. Talk to them. Beg them. Do whatever it takes. Say, you know what? I made the mistake. You be the first. You be the bigger person. I made the mistake. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I was inadequate as a father. I was inadequate as a mother. I made mistakes. I was wrong. I am not a perfect father. I try to be. I'm not a perfect father. You can ask my daughter. She's right here. Oh, closest to perfect, but not perfect. Here we go. She's honest. But I'll tell you what. And my daughter is a witness to this. And every one of my children are a witness to this. 
When I make a mistake, I'll go to my child and I'll apologize. Don't let me, I'm the father. They should apologize to me. They should, again, we need to be the first. Go. You make a mistake, go and apologize. Go say I'm sorry. And we sometimes, you know, it's a busy day. You're stressed out. You have a lot going on. You, you know, you have all the reasons in the world. And your kid is bothering you about something and you yell or you say something that's not right. So you say... And the child could be offended. Child needed something. Child got hurt. Or a spouse needs attention, affection. And you're not able to provide it at that moment. You come to your senses finally. Apologize. Just say something. It's within the ability of your mouth, your lips. Just talk. Say something. Or your heart. You can do it. Our job is not only to seek forgiveness, but it's also to find a way to appease the person we hurt. You hurt somebody, you know you hurt somebody, and they're not willing to hear. Try to appease them. So on both ends, the halacha says that if you ask for forgiveness multiple times and the person keeps on refusing to forgive, after a certain amount of time, you don't have to because someone who doesn't forgive after so many times, you don't need to ask anymore. Ramam talks about this. We got to seek them out. But we have to have true regret. We have to leave the sin. We can't continue to to to, to hurl uh, derogatory statements at them to insult them publicly and expect them to forgive us. Right? We have to stop. We have to confess, accept the responsibility, and we have to we have to accept for the future. I'm not I'm not going to do that again. And this applies, by the way, little children, your own children, your friend, your neighbor, your spouse, your coworker, your roommate. It doesn't make a difference. All of this process applies to everyone. When you forgive, you're going to feel better. You know, one of the things we ask, we ask Hashem, we say, for the sin that we have sinned, whether we know it or we don't know. There are times that we don't even realize that we hurt somebody. And that's what we're asking for. We're asking, you know what? If we did something and we don't even know what we did, They'll say, oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I've been keeping notes. <laughs> I can tell you a thing or two about what you've done, right? No. We ask Hashem, we say Hashem on the things we know and the things we don't know. And I would highly recommend if you have the opportunity to read the al the sins for we have sinned. Read through them before Yom Kippur. To read the Ashamnu, Bagadnu, the Vidui, the Confession, before Yom Kippur. Get, get a minute to tr- tr- just try to figure out, one second, what does this apply to? What, have, what can I fit into this? What have I done wrong? It's guaranteed the Rambam says we've done something, even if it's just in thought. 
we have something. So I want to leave you off with one more thing. And that is that we see the story by Yishmael. Yishmael, he was in Abraham's house. I think we mentioned this at the end of last class. Yishmael was kicked out of Abraham's house. Sarah didn't like his influence on Isaac. She says, get him out. So Abraham sends them away. And then he's in the desert and he's about to die. Yishmael is not feeling well. He's sick. So the angel says to God, let's wipe him out. It's about time. It's the, the, whole, the whole Muslim nation wouldn't be here. We won't have terrorist attacks. We won't have suicide bombers. We won't have uh, World Trade Centers, uh, you know, disasters. We wouldn't have any of this. The angel says, look, we're looking at the future. I think it's, let's get, get him out at the ground floor. Let's liquidate him. God says, no, no, no. Ba'asher husham. I want to know how is Yishmael at this moment. God says, at this moment, how is he? Angel says, at this moment, he's righteous. At this moment, our sages tell us, that's the way Hashem judges us. Hashem judges us by how we are at that moment of Yom Kippur. When we're talking to Hashem, how are we in this moment? God doesn't say, oh, where were, we? where were you three months ago and four months ago and five months ago? How about you had Elul? You may have lost that opportunity. Maybe you had the 10 days of repentance. How was that? Ba'asher Husham. At this moment, God wants to see how we're doing right now. All of what we've spoken about last class all of what we spoke about the entire month of Elul, it's all about that moment that we're going to be standing before God. Yes, preparation helps. But one moment of truth is what we're looking for. One moment of clarity, one moment of connection with the Almighty is all we need. Hashem should bless us all that not only we should find it within our hearts to forgive We should be forgiven for anything we may have done. And Hashem should give us the privilege of feeling that great connection to His love. Amen. Amen. My request to each and every one of you, we spend a lot of time together. I'm not a perfect person. I ask for your forgiveness. Those that I know and those that I don't know, things that I've done, things that I don't know that I've done, I ask you with all my heart, To those of you online as well, uh, many of you, it's been probably 50 or 60 times, maybe 100 times that we've learned together this year. If I said something which was incorrect, if I said something which was inappropriate, if I've acted in a way that was not respectful, which was unbecoming, I ask you for your forgiveness. I really hope that each and every one of you will have it in your heart to forgive me. I hope, please. And it's those that you're closest with that you have to be most concerned about. Right? So, something that we didn't mention, we probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the class, and that is that teshuva, repentance, begins with the people, with humanity. Because God says, before you come to me and ask forgiveness, 
Work it out among yourselves. Make sure you have forgiveness down there. So therefore, I ask you, day before Yom Kippur, please ask for forgiveness. David, you forgive me? With all your heart, everything? Okay, so for those of you who are online and don't hear the question, how do you forgive someone who harmed your child? I don't think you're obligated to. Not everyone deserves your forgiveness. I know we just spoke about forgiving, but not everyone deserves it. No, really, the the Torah tells us that evil, you don't, you don't forgive. And if someone, God forbid, uh, was molested, someone was, was, uh, uh, raped, someone was in in such cases. And I'll even tell you more. I've heard situations where someone was murdered and then the family comes a few days later and say, uh, we forgive the, what? Someone, how, who do you, who are you to forgive? Who are you to forgive? The person is dead now. Because of this, this monster, we know, who was either drunk driving or whatever it was, and you're forgiving them? What right do you have to forgive? Right. Well, that's true. For, for those who are evil, evil people, Torah says to, to uh, exact revenge. Oh, definitely there's a line. It doesn't mean, look, forgiveness doesn't mean that you roll over and say, beat me more. Okay, that's not what it says. Okay, there's obviously a, a, a line. Now, we're talking about commonplace mistakes, errors, right? You do something. We all make mistakes. That's that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, uh, you know, right. So, so the question, if you didn't hear, for those of you online, well, we have the very basic premise of Judaism is that we believe in Hashem and that everything happens to us for a right, a right, a right uh, reason and cause. So if someone was affected by someone, right? If I'm asking you a question, someone is affected by someone, then was that not prescribed by the Almighty that this person should be dealing with this struggle perhaps or be affected in such a way? So how does that fit in that Hashem perhaps prescribed? That doesn't mean, look, does Hashem prescribe that someone can steal? Right? Hashem says not to steal, but the person stole. Right? So... Our choice that we have is within a certain realm. We can go outside of it and decide to do crazy things. You understand? And then the world the world has to has to repair that. But it's 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 a topic, very important topic to discuss when we talk about Amuna, of understanding the bigger picture. Within the realm of our choice, we can you know it that is more or less uh predestined, but we can choose to go a totally different way. And we can choose to go outside of what Hashem prescribed for us, and then we're on our own course, living in a life, a godless life. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org, because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com.